All right. Well, thank you so much, worship team. Thanks to our kids. Thanks to Murray. Thanks to Tyler. Um, yeah, so great to be here this morning and, and be sharing the word today. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Lockie and I'm one of the pastors here at Gold Coast Central. I just want to extend a huge welcome. Uh, whether you're visiting today, whether you're here for the first time, the hundredth time, um, know that you're welcome here, that we're so glad that you're here. Um, if, if you don't know, we exist as a church because we want to draw people into a loving relationship with Jesus. That's why we do everything that we do and that's our goal. Um, we don't always do it perfectly because we're imperfect people, but that's why we, uh, that's what we set out to do. And this year, our theme is walking the way, walking the way. And uh, we're, we're trying to do that uh, as a community, as a church. It's not running the way. It's not sprinting the way. It's walking the way uh, because we believe that if, if you want to go far, you have to go together, right? Maybe you can go faster if you go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. So uh, that's, that's our, our kind of theme as a church this year. And if you join us for the first time today, you have picked a great day to join us because it is the first day of a brand new series uh, that we're starting here at church. And if you've been to the bathrooms at all, you might have seen some of the posters up there because that's where we chucked them all this time. So um, if you see there over the next four weeks, that's, that's where you can get a little uh, insight into the, the next uh, few weeks and, and where we're headed. But this series is called Ecclesia. Ecclesia, okay? So turn to the person next to you and say, Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Now that is a Greek word, and it's actually two words that were put together to be one word. Uh, so the first word of that is out or out of, which is ek, and the second word is kaleo, which means I call or to call. Okay, so when you put those two together, you get to call out or the called out group of people, right? And this is actually the word that is translated into church in the New Testament of the Bible. So when, most often when you see the word church in the New Testament, it's actually this word in Greek, which means to call out right? Often when we hear the word church, we probably think of a building or a cathedral or a location, but the word church in the New Testament is often ecclesia, which means the called out group of people. And Murray shared a really awesome story before about purpose. And that, that, that phrase, to call out, actually hints toward the fact that the church has a purpose. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to hopefully go through the entire story of the Bible that's my goal. Right? We're going to go through the entire Bible and look at what it means to be the people of God and where we find our place in it. Okay, where we find our place in it. Now, I have a thought that I want to share before we keep going. Can we just go to that next slide, please? Is that all right? And it's this. is that to understand the church, so what we are today, to understand the church, you need to understand how God has worked in the past. You need to understand how God has worked in the past. It's, it's kind of like to understand this part of the picture, you need to zoom out and see the full picture, right? So I'm going to do a little illustration now, uh, and I want you to guess what photo this is. I can almost guarantee that you've seen it. We're going to do a few of these. So I want you to guess what photo is this, and we're going to zoom out and see how close you are, all right? So feel free to shout it out. What do you reckon this photo is? Moon landing. Any other ideas? The moon. What was that? All right, there was another guess there, but the first one was correct, all right? It is the moon landing. It is the moon landing. Second photo. What do you think this is? I'm seeing some people up there. The cricket, maybe? Maybe the cricket? AFL, baseball. This is a very iconic photo. I can almost guarantee you've seen it. Let's see what it is. It is Michael Jordan doing his big dunk. The Air Jordan himself. And here's the final one. This one you may not have seen, but uh, some of you might have. It looks like a city maybe. It's in black and white, so it might be a bit older. The workers. That's correct. 
So it's a bunch of workers. Uh, I believe they were constructing the Empire State Building. Is that correct? Do you know? Yeah, I think they were constructing the Empire State Building. And this is them having their lunch break. Um, bit of a precarious uh, place to, to sit and to eat. But I hope that that's helping to illustrate the point that when you only see part of the picture, you don't really know the full story, right? And, and when you only look at the church, when you only look at uh, you know, where we find ourselves today as followers of Jesus, you actually miss the full story. There are a lot of different people that have different ideas about what the Bible is. Uh, my, my personal perspective is that it is God's unfolding story and humanity's place in it, right? From the creation of the universe through to eternity in heaven with God, it is a story about God. And my prayer is that by the end of today, you and I will know our place in it, that you'll be able to look at the Bible and not just see a bunch of obscure stories or individuals or groups of people, but that you will see yourself in the bigger picture of God's story. So you ready? Oh, come on. Are you ready? Ah, oh, sweet. Let's, let's pray and get into it. Father, thank you so much that we can come together, we can, we can read your word. I just ask that you would rid me of myself, that you would uh, prepare each of our hearts for the message that you have for us today. Lord, I just ask that you would um, yeah, just show up and do your thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So remember what I said about uh, when you only see part of the picture, you don't get it? I'm going to turn this on, and hopefully by the end of the message, you will understand what is going on here. All right, it's just a like diffuser. It's just sending some nice sense around the place. All right, so we're going to start off in the book of Genesis today. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to kick it off. And here God is having a conversation with a man named Abram. That'd be pretty nice. Hey, just God coming up and having a conversation with you face to face. I know I'd certainly have questions if that would have happened to me. Uh, but we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 to 3. So if you don't have a Bible, it's all good. It's on the screen behind me here. And it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Sounds pretty good, right? And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. It, it is this conversation that is the foundation for God when he was chose to work with a specific group of people. He says to Abram that his family would go on to be God's special possession, God's chosen people on this earth. But I, but I hope you can see that from the very beginning right here, Part of the DNA of that commitment, we call it a covenant. Part of the DNA of that covenant was that the people of God were to be a blessing to others. They weren't just to exist for themselves, but they had a purpose that was bigger, that was outward facing. And as we go through the story of God working uh, with, with this specific family, Abram has a, has a grandson and his name is Jacob. God renames him Israel and he has a whole bunch of sons and his sons become the families or the tribes of the nation of Israel. Right? And as we follow that story, the people of Israel end up in a space where they're in slavery in Egypt and it seems a far cry from this promise that God made to their ancestor Abram. But God eventually frees them from the slavery and then brings them, like delivers them through an ocean that he separates for them. Right? It's a crazy story. If you haven't read it, check it out. It's amazing. Um, but they come to a place after that called Mount Sinai. And they're standing at this mountain at the foot of it. And Moses, who's their leader at the time, goes up the mountain. And he has a conversation with God as well. 
And this is a theme here of God actually communicating to his people, not leaving them in the dark, but communicating to them what it means to be his people. And we jump into that conversation in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6. And again, God is speaking now to Moses and he says these words. He says, now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, that covenant that we, we looked at just before in Genesis 12, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So God had a message that he wanted Moses to communicate to them. He said, you will be a kingdom of priests. That's a really significant phrase because in the ancient world, the priests were the ones that had the closest connection to the gods or to God, right? The priests were the ones through whom the everyday people like us could go and actually connect with or communicate with the divine. But this is a significant phrase because it says you are a kingdom of priests. You are a nation of priests. Every single one of you is supposed to function like a priest would to their people, except as a nation, you are the priests to the rest of the world. Sometimes we look at the people of Israel or the way that God works in the Old Testament and we say, man, it's so different to how he works in the New Testament. Like it's so different because he chose one family and that's it. But the very purpose of God electing the people of Israel to be his people was so that they would then go and share his character, his love, who he is with the rest of the world. The word we use for that today is mission or outreach or evangelism, right? But it's the same essence, it's the same DNA that's woven into God's covenant with the people of Israel. And so as we keep going through the story, we come to like the book of Psalms, which is essentially a book of praise songs like we've been singing today. And this actually reveals really clearly how the people of Israel understood themselves. They didn't always live it out perfectly, but this points to how they understood themselves. This is Psalm 67, verses 2 to 4. So you can read it in your Bibles or you can read it here on the screen. It says, David's writing, he says, May your ways be known throughout the earth. Your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let the whole world sing for joy because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of just Israel? The whole world. The whole world. This is like an insight into how the the people of Israel understood themselves because these were their worship songs. These were the things that they would repeat, that they would sing, that they would share to the next generation. That God, you are not just the God of Israel. You are God of the whole world. And we're not the only ones who get to praise you. We want the whole world to see your goodness and your sovereignty. We want the whole world to praise you. This is the way that God worked in the Old Testament of the Bible, that first section of the Bible. And as I reflect, it seems very similar to to how he works in the New Testament as well, which we'll come to in in just a moment. Now, unfortunately, Israel didn't always do it right. They didn't always do it perfectly. But Isaiah, who was a prophet, he was like a, a preacher and he was supposed to call out the parts of Israel that weren't living up to how God had called them to live. Isaiah writes these words. He says, listen to me, my people. Hear me, Israel. For my law will be proclaimed and my justice will become a light to the nations to the nations, not just to your nation, to the nations. My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. All distant lands, all distant lands will look to me and wait in hope for my powerful arm. I hope you can start to see a bit of a pattern here that God's purpose for his people, for the people of God, 
was never to be insular or inward focused. It was never just about them. Yes, he wanted them to know him. But by default in knowing him, part of their obligation to that was to then go and make him known to other people. That has always been a part of the role of the people of God. And you might be thinking, okay, well, why is there two sections to the Bible then? Like, why didn't God just keep that going? Unfortunately, the pattern that you can read about in the Bible uh, for the people of Israel is they kind of had a tendency towards selfishness, towards doing things their own way. And the result of that is that they consistently misrepresented to the world who God was. They didn't follow the, the commands that he gave them. They didn't follow the instructions that he gave them as they should have. And so time and time again, you know, God was, was working with these people. He was trying to help them to bring them back. And it's kind of like you just see this like pendulum swinging back and forth in the Old Testament between Israel being the people of God and then the people of Israel, like their own people, their own people. And so as we come to the New Testament, God takes the initiative to deal with this problem. You see, Israel, their, their, their issue wasn't just an Israel issue. It was an issue that every single one of us faces today. And that is that our hearts are, are bent away from God. That when we're born, we're, we're actually fundamentally broken. That we're bent towards sin. You know, no one has to teach like a young baby or a young child to be defiant or to say no or to, you know, to, to fight against you, right? It's, it's, it's a part of, of who we are as human beings. And God saw that and he didn't leave us there. No, he took the initiative and sent his own son to teach us what it means to be his people again. And not just to teach us what it means to be his people again, but to live a perfect life and pay the price that we should have paid for, for the lives that we've lived. The author of the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul, he writes it this way. He says that he who knew no sin, he's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus who never sinned, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Not us as in the people back then. Yes, those people, but us today. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that word righteous mean? It means right standing, right? It means that us and God are good. There's no more like striving to be in God's good books. There's no more wrestling and just working our butts off to try and be the best that we can be so that God will like us or accept us. No, righteousness means that we have right standing with God, complete certain assurance that we can be in right standing with God. Paul writes that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the price that he paid when he died on the cross for us, you and I can have a restored relationship with God, not just in eternity, today. That right now, in this moment, you can come to God and say, God, I need forgiveness of my sins. Please save me. Please forgive me. Please be my Lord. And right in that moment, you can know that you are saved, that you are forgiven, that you were healed, that you were restored. That is what Jesus did. Praise God. See, Israel's unfaithfulness spurred God to take the problem of sin into his own hands. And that is the good news. That is the good news of Jesus. We call it the gospel, but that's what that word means. It means good news. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the good news that we're to take and share with the world.
Paul writes about this again in Galatians 6. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Other translators will say, What counts is being transformed. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. That's a really important phrase, the Israel of God. A lot of people think, okay, well, what, is, what has God done with Israel then? Is God finished? Are they wiped clean? That's a whole other sermon right there. But for now, what we need to know is that what it means to be the people of God, it's no longer something that's just inherited in your DNA. It's something that you can be grafted into by faith in Jesus. That being the true Israel, the true people of God, is something we can opt into by faith in Jesus, by following Jesus. The true Israel of God are all of those who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So you and I can be a part of the people of God today. But Jesus goes a step further and he actually gives his people a commission. Like he gives them a message. He gives them, he gives them a, a job to do. And we're not going to read that, but the essence of that commission is that his people are to go. They're to make disciples. They're to baptize them and to teach them everything that Jesus taught them so that they can live out lives and do the same. That is the calling that Jesus has given to you and to me as his followers today. And so the question comes, well, then how do we do that? How do we live that out as God's people? And there's a really powerful passage, and we're going to come back to this thing in a moment. A really powerful passage that, again, Paul writes about on this topic. He says, but thank God. He has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. That triumphal procession is what we get to live as a part of knowing that Jesus has had the victory over sin and death on our behalf. We get to be a part of that triumphal procession, live our lives in victory. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere, like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. So what scent are you leaving? What flavor is left in your conversations, in your family, in your workplace? The reason I use this is I'm hoping that the first few rows here can start to smell. Can you guys smell it? What do you smell? Lemon, right? A few people can smell lemon, right? There's a, there's a lemon oil put in there. Um, and I'm hoping that's kind of starting to illustrate what it means for us to be the people of God today. Right? Because we have a beautiful message to share. But we do run the risk of sharing it in a way that's actually going to undermine what the message is all about. Right? I'm not pointing fingers, I'm not saying accusations, but we need to be aware that given the magnitude and the beauty and the power of this message, we want to share it in the best way we possibly can. And so I don't know about you, but for me, I want to live the kind of life that's like a sweet fragrance. That when I have conversations with people, when I go to, to work, when I, when I come here, when I'm preaching, when I'm teaching, when I'm interacting, when I'm playing volleyball with my teammates, when I'm playing guitar, in everything that I'm doing, that I would leave a sweet aroma. And not one that smells like Lockie, because if you know me, you know that aroma isn't always pleasant. But an aroma that smells like Jesus. An aroma that smells like Jesus. You know, as we fast forward towards the end of the Bible, there's a book called Revelation. And in that book, in chapter 14, there's something that we call the three angels' messages. And as a church, this is a beautiful message that we've been given to share with the world. 
I believe that our church is called to share this, that we're called out uh, to, to, to deliver this message. And it is a message of beauty. It is a message of hope. And it is a message of good news. And this stranger's message, I'm not going to read it all. I'm not going to unpack it all again. That's a whole other sermon. You can read this at another time. But this is kind of the essence of it so far as I see it. The essence of it is that the first angel says, worship the God of truth in truth. Right? It's a call to worship, to praise God. The second angel says, come out of confusion and false religion. Come away from all that and come into the truth, right? Come back to that first angel, worship the God of truth. And the third angel says that Satan is defeated. The forces of evil, the powers of darkness, they are defeated, right? You're no longer fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory when you follow Jesus. When you're facing temptation, fear, doubt, whatever you're struggling with, Satan and his forces are defeated, so choose Jesus' victory. This is a good news message for our world today, right? I mean, you think about the first one, worship the God of truth in truth. One of the biggest challenges we're facing as a, as a global community right now is fake news, polarization in the media. In, in, like, like truth is becoming so subjective, so airy-fairy that people don't know where to turn to. When we live in a world like that, this is a message of hope because it says there is a truth that is constant, that is firm, that you can believe in, that you can build your life upon. It's not going to change and it is one that will change your life. I mean, you look at the second angel, come out of confusion and false religion. Again, not pointing fingers, right? We're not about that. We're about being a sweet Christ-like aroma. But you look at how much confusion there is in the world, how much doubt, how much fear, how much anxiety, how many people are struggling with these things. I'm not saying those things are a, a result of a lack of faith, but what I'm saying is that we are called to step out of that, to be Christ-like fragrances in that space and point people towards Jesus, towards the thing that they can build their life on, something that is firm, something that is constant. And then we have the third angel that says, Satan is defeated and choose Jesus' victory. There is hope. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but there is hope I don't know what circumstances you feel trapped in or stuck in right now, but I know that in Jesus there is hope. And this is the message that you and I have been given to share with the world. It's good news. And so my prayer today is that we would do that in a way that is Christ-like, that just like this centered diffuser here, that we would leave a sweet aroma wherever we go in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in our homes, in our churches, in our Sabbath school classes, in our life groups, in our public transport, in our cars on the way to work, when people cut us off, or when we cut other people off, that we would live a Christ-like fragrance wherever we go. And so we come to my big idea for today's message, and it is this. Mission is in the DNA of God's people from the very start. From the very start, mission has been in the DNA of the people of God. And it's not something that we do, it's who we are. Now that's key as well, because for as long as we think of mission or outreach or evangelism as an add-on to our faith experience, we're missing a key part of what it means to follow Jesus. And not a key part in terms of like, you should feel guilty about not doing it. The most most joy-filled beautiful experiences I've ever had as a follower of Jesus have been when I have had the opportunity to share him with someone else. Anyone else got to experience that, right? Leading someone else to Jesus, sharing Jesus with them. It is the most powerful, the most beautiful experience I've ever had. Maybe there's someone in your life that God is calling you to share his love with. 
It may be through a conversation. It may be through a deed or an action. It may be through your time. It may be through your words. I don't know what it is, but maybe there is someone in your life that God wants you to share the love of Jesus with. And so as I pray now, I invite you to step into this calling to be the people of God, to be the ecclesia, to be called out because it is a calling that Jesus has placed on your life. Every single last one of us, God has a difference for us to make in this world. He saw this world and thought it needed one of you. He has a specific purpose for your being here. And maybe today was that purpose for you to realize the magnitude of what He's called you to, to be the people of God, to be that sweet Christ-like aroma in the lives of those that you call your friends, your family, your colleagues, your classmates. So as I pray, I want you just to bring that person to mind. Maybe there's one person, maybe there's a group of people. Maybe you can't think of anyone right now. Bring that person. Maybe they're gonna come into your life in the future. Bring that person to mind. And as I pray, I just want you to think of that person, think of their name. And we're just gonna offer a special prayer over them. So would you join me now as I pray? Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. Lord, you've invited us to be a part of your family. And that starts today for some people. And Lord, I praise you and I thank you for those that have made a commitment to following you for the first time ever. Thank you, God, that we have an opportunity to be reflectors of your love and your character to other people. I pray we would take this seriously, that it wouldn't be just something that we do every now and then, but it would be the constant that undergirds every conversation, every action, every, every event that we go to, everything, Lord. May we know that being a part of the people of God means sharing who you are and all that you've done for us. So Lord, we bring to mind now these people who you've already placed in our path, or maybe people that you will do in the future. We don't know who they are right, right now, Lord, but you know who they are and you know what you would have us say or do for them. You know what impact that's gonna have and you know the impact that that person is gonna have on someone else down the path. And so Lord, as we bring them to mind, we ask that your spirit would fill us, that you would give us the wisdom of what to know, what to think, the words to say, the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the mind to understand what you're calling us to do for this individual, Lord. May we never exist for ourselves. May we be the people of God that you have called us to be. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being able to do this, to be called your people. Lord, we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.